Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi everybody. Hi, Hi. Olivia. Hi Micah. I'm trying real hard to be high energy on this low energy day for me today. That's okay. Uh, you're definitely very convincing if I close my eyes. For, <laughs> I feel it. Wow, it feels like so long since we recorded it's only been a week but you know that's just so uh, yeah like a month ago right right yeah, we gotta get I her said. on again soon hey stuff that was so much fun and like I, it was so great being on the other side of the nerd alerts being like oh my god this is like so enlightening and i'll just have i'll <laughs> hand the floor to someone else right now this is lovely uh, right opposed to like this week i'm like gotta do my last minute research before i record <laughs> which it's it's all in and it's gonna be fun I guess I'll just introduce the nerd alert, you know, since I'm talking about it. We're going to be talking about some history of the Latin alphabet and talk about all the things that we take for granted, like the 26 letters that we have, and a little bit of the history of how we got to those 26 letters and the evolution. And I think it's going to teach us a lot about our modern vocabulary that we're familiar with, why some letters are more frequent than other letters. And I'll let you guys know what the last letter to be added to the 26 letter alphabet was. Oh, that's a good tease. Now I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. So very excited to jump into that with you later. Sweet. That's going to be fun. Cool. What do we have to share this week, Olivia? A bit like a fun, eclectic mix of logos and branding and type and a fun story about grandmas making fonts. So we're starting with our 2021 logo trend report from Logo Lounge. They're actually an organization I'm not familiar with, but came across this article recently and was like, whoa, this is fascinating. And it's apparently a trend report they do every year on the logos. And it's really, really robust. And they kind of, you know, talk about several logo trends and have overarching names for it. So names like asterisk and off jog and trans flip and electric tape. And they all kind of make sense once you look at examples, but I'm pretty sure the writer of this article, Bill Gardner, will look at tons of examples of logos recently created and will extract some where he sees there's like repeated patterns of people finding a motif and running with them. And it's pretty interesting to see a whole lot of different industries being represented in these logos, but seeing how the trends really do kind of repeat itself amongst the, you know, different kinds of logos we have. Yeah, this is this is a beautiful article to browse because it is very interactive and very beautifully mm -hmm. typeset as well. Like the whole layout is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it I mean, it, it reels you in by saying like, for this year's report, I couldn't help but land on the word drama. And it's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. And then you kind of get to scroll through and see all of these very weirdly named trends that he has decided to call things. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of, you kind of get why, why he came up with some of those names. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so, it, it's just, this is really fascinating to me. Yeah, me too. I'm impressed how many categories he came up with. There are 15 <laughs> categories of trends that he noticed across all these logos he was looking at, which it's crazy. It's like, how could you really put all these in boxes? But it really does fit. Even there's a trend called O'Reilly, which I think is funny, but it's all these brands that are using circular motifs as their main brand icon and what that means. I My favorite trend, I think, is the electric tape one where mm. it shows 
these really kind of nitty gritty logos that are no fuss. They have no curves in them. It literally looks like they were created out of electric tape. And it's like kind of punk, but also feels modern in some of these instances. I love the example of the Czech Skateboarding Association. They do this like regal lion character on a skateboard, which I think is just like so such a weird combo of things. But I mean, that was exciting, but there's all sorts of stuff where you're like, oh yeah, I guess I've seen that. I mean, there's the there's the dog tag trend, which I love just kind of looking at and examining as, you know, how do you make letter forms be the logo and the pattern and identifying factor. And it's like that really old school, how much type can you fit in a circle or a shape, which I, I always love seeing. But that and amongst that, it's like all the way from those kind of older school, no fuss, very analog seeming logos to, you know, variable fonts being used in an identity. And, you know, I think that's really been growing for years and kind of seeing the depth people are taking them to not just oh we can change the thickness and thinness it's like how does this logo evolve from a thin sans serif to a bulky semi-serif and that sort of stuff is happening which is exciting to see and interesting to see how that's going to be dictating what's going to be in our visual landscape soon yeah that was the first one that i just inherently clicked on because it was named janice and i was like oh interesting and clicked on it and immediately talking about variable fonts with an animated graphic describing the idea and i got what he was saying from the graphic before I even had to read anything and then noticed that he had four examples of companies that were doing this. And it reminded me of that museum that we had that whole discussion about where, where the letter forms interacted with sound. Oh, that was the San Francisco symphony, I think. Yeah. 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 And how it, you know, those letters kind of like stretched vertically and horizontally, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect example of this kind of trend, which isn't included in this article, but that, you know, that's kind of, he's just taking some examples. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. What does Janice mean? Janice, I feel like is uh, a god of some kind from some, from some Greek history, I think. I'm going to sound Googling like an idiot it. if that's wrong, but I was close. Mm-hmm. God of well. beginnings, gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, frames. We all learn something new here in the weekly typographic. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the like more cheekier ways to name a category, but I, I dig it. I'm into it. Interesting seeing people really leaning into color and gradients. I think it's at the beginning he noted like basically every brand has to figure out how they live in an RGB digital world. And I think- it's funny because that's know, the opposite of what they teach you, right? They're like, it has exactly. to work in black and white. Don't rely on colors and gradients. And so many companies now are relying on colors and gradients. Some of these I mean, shapes would be undiscernible in black and white. I'd say the Google icon system almost wholly relies on colors. Totally. <laughs> to, you know, so it it is interesting to be like, okay, show the type professors or design professors this and see how that can maybe evolve how we think of logos and identities. Even even like the oh really category that you were talking about, they're literally just all O's. They would yes. all look like the same company basically. Without <laughs> didn't have the color. Yeah. Exactly. I think that just kind of teaches us about a lot of the future of design and just really interesting tool to use as we move forward. I'm so glad I was able to find that. Yeah, great find. Our next link, Steph included in the the articles. I feel like whenever we talk about something about JKR, I'm like, well, Steph 
Steph had us do this. So I just noticed Not- he's from JKR. <laughs> and it's funny, actually, because we had a company meeting this morning and we talked about this branding. And it is a new brand identity for Stonewall, which I didn't actually know about Stonewall, the organization, before encountering this. But the UK office in JKR did this. And it is, I think, a UK-based charity and organization that helps fight, fight for LGBTQ plus community rights. And they kind of had this, like, outdated, stale, like very basic red and white identity system for a long time. And they're kind of being brought into the 21st century with a very colorful, bright, type-centric branding identity, I'd say, that is is pretty interesting to see kind of how activism is being communicated with and exists in the world we live in today. I love the vertical logo. That might be like one of my favorite parts of this. My animation is actually not working on my screen right now, but I saw it earlier. And the logo animation starts with like an equal sign. And then Stonewall comes out of the equal sign. There's an arrow that that bisects it and kind of you see Stonewall being created. The two L's are the equal sign with the arrow moving forward through it, which I think is kind of just like a nice visual pun mark. But overall, it's like a very expressive identity system. That arrow by itself seems kind of inconsequential and and not necessarily super creative. But I think in the context of all of the other things that they're doing, it becomes a pretty strong mark. You notice like... For sure. The photography here is fantastic. And mm-hmm. behind a lot of the photography is this very subtle arrow pointing mm-hmm. forward. And you're like, oh, that's such a strong message now that I see it. For sure. And I think when I first came across the site, I saw that too. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cliche, like equal sign arrow. But then again, like seeing it actually be used in a smart way in the mark and then seeing it being used elsewhere is like, oh, okay. That's like an interesting take on a very basic shape yeah. that we're all known for. I love that they found all these words inside Stonewall. They actually talked about this this morning where they are like, I think I'm not going to be able to find it anymore. So there's like an animation in the middle that's kind of showing examples of Instagram versions of the type. Yes, and it's like that is we like- are one with Stonewall stand for like- all. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's with stand, stand for Stonewall and then all being highlighted. We are Stonewall one being highlighted. I like right, that. Like inside inside that word is one all. I'm sure other ones that I'm not seeing immediately too. But thank you, Micah. I appreciate it. Also, also interesting. They have their own custom typeface created for this. Just truly uh, reinforcing that that is what rebrands are doing to. I don't know. Stand apart a little bit. Feel a little bit more custom, bespoke. It's not going away. I, it's just everywhere, you know? I actually wasn't familiar with this foundry, the F37 foundry. Mm-hmm. And just from like a quick peruse of their website, it sounds like that is the majority of what they do is that they make Whoa. custom branding fonts. I see this now. See, like this is such a new world of, they've like found their market of people that will need that. That's right. great for them. Very cool. Kind of cool. Interesting find. I know, I think it's being talked about a lot more in like British media than American. So this was like new for me. I probably wouldn't have even seen it without JKR talking about it and stuff pointing it out, but still pretty exciting to see anyhow. Totes. Good find too. Our next article. Oh my gosh. So we all know that Olivia loves AIGA's (laughs) Eye on Design website, blog. It's just been a minute. 
And I like shot a bunch over to step being like, can we please include one of these? This was one of them. Very excited. Nice new typeface alert. I feel like, I feel like it's been a minute since we talked about like a new typeface out there. And mm. this is a great little review on one. This new font is called Faubourg. It's an unapologetic ode oh. to Parisian. Yes. Sorry. I just looked it up in no. Google Translate. Yeah. Faubourg. Oh my God. You did so well. <laughs> did okay. I? According to Google Translate, because both of our French is rusty, we're we're gonna go with Faubourg. Faubourg, <laughs> I love it. So it's an Wait. unapologetic ode to Parisian vernacular lettering. It was created by Marie Boulanger. Ooh, that was uh, pretty good. Thank you. Under creative and technical guidance from Neil Simerer, and so it's created. In the Foundry Flourish, which is a brainchild of Positype founder Neil Summerer. And Flourish is kind of a program that helps rising talent in the type industry. And it offers them instruction and guidance and education and helps kind of lift lift them up and give them the abilities if they're, you know, a new type designer to, you know, publish something with Foundry, which I think is pretty, pretty exciting. I haven't really seen that sort of initiative before within an existing Foundry. So I... Love that, you know, it's based off of book jackets from her parents' libraries. And she actually created this to accompany an illustration project. And it was to take a break from type design. But we all know how type designers like get stuck in their way. And they're like, oh my God, wait, no, I have to finish this. I can't just leave this. She says that many type designers feel the pressure to make a really important first release that's super clean, legible, perfect for anything, a bunch of weights. And she was like, you know what? I decided to kind of scrap that way of thinking this is meant for titling and logos. It's meant to be big and unapologetic. And I think that's great. I mean, overall, it is a very, very high contrast with thins that are crazy thin, I'd say, sans serif. With some serif aspects to it yeah um, it's he, like one of those semi-serifs that i don't know what to do with yeah where i think some characters go straight in on the serifs and others just totally ignore it really wild boundary pushing fins here like if you want to make these letters super big you can just like enjoy the way the curves move but i feel like you really have to look at these large or else you're not doing them justice it is probably also useful to say like this is a family with a display and i don't know they call it aussie which okay. from from high school french i feel like means as well like yeah it also. means also yeah <laughs> right that's funny and so so the display has serifs for the most part i mean mm. it's definitely a serif with a few like interesting twists like the s does not have any serifs on it for some reason and mm -hmm. it looks great and then mm -hmm. the other one mostly doesn't have serifs and has an occasional serif here and there. I see. I see. Yeah. I'm looking at its page now. Um, really kind of, I haven't seen someone being this unapologetic with getting super thin letter forms. <laughs> I'm curious. I would like love to see this. I can see on like an album cover, like really big or like interacting with some sort of photography. I want this on a cookbook. Like this is beautiful. Ooh. Micah, you know I love a good cookbook design. Right? Or like in a hotel. Oh, yeah. Oh, you have the best. It idea. has such good retro Parisian vibes while still also being like a little bit unexpected and, and yeah. that makes it feel new. Yeah. I love that about it too. Oh, very fun. Very, very beautiful. Fun. I love seeing what everyone's everyone's making out there. 
Nice new release. Okay. Next article. Very fun one from Steph. We, we almost included this last week and we decided that it was a better fit for this week, right? This is it like is, a very adorable article. Yeah. Like it will do, it, if nothing else, it will bring you joy. Titled Grandma Fonts Gain Popularity for Invoking Nostalgic Feel and Motherly Care. I would like to open up a foundry called Grandma Fonts because like, <laughs> how could you not like have a good time with you know how much i love handwriting so like i'll I'll back this play okay so the story is this is from yonhap news agency which might be based in korea i believe it is because this article is reporting from seoul five elderly women who did not even have a vague idea of what font means have emerged as unlikely stars in the world of typography in south korea so earlier this month Han Kom, which is the country's leading office suite develop software developer, so kind of like Microsoft, has rolled out new fonts and they were developed from grandmother's handwritings and these grandmas are in their 70s and 80s. It's like if, yeah, you know, Microsoft's working on all those new default fonts. Well, I don't think they're the default font. Like, can you imagine being included in Microsoft suite, like your handwriting just being there? So cool. And I love that to express her gratitude, one of the women sent the company a variety of fresh produce that she harvested herself, including tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers. (laughs) Like, what an amazing way to be like, thank you. And I think they're really excited. The grandmothers are excited that their handwriting will be living on beyond, you know, their lifetime. And it's like this really kind of emotional article about, you know, leaving a legacy with your handwriting, but also being used in a functional way. I think we often so think of fonts as functional, technical, you know, tools, but to these women, it's like, wow, this is a way for like me to live on in other modes of communication. (laughs) I love too. like, there was a, there was some quote mixed in here somewhere where I, you know, one of the daughters, I think was like, wow, your handwriting is so beautiful. How do you do that? And isn't isn't that an interesting expression of modern times of like, mm-hmm. how, how do you write well? Well, I think we were, I mean, sidebar, me and Micah and Steph were talking about this article on cursive the other day. And it's like talking about how so many people now don't even learn cursive. But back in the day, people would have cursive class for like the first 18 years of their life. And mm-hmm. I feel like everyone's like, oh, my mom's handwriting is so nice. And it's so true because every, generations before just had to practice and practice and practice. And now it's like we have some kind of weird mix up of cursive and print and everyone has really, really different handwriting because there hasn't been any sort of consistent militaristic practice of it. Right. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting to see like that that's a result. And, you know, if you are really into your handwriting, keep on practicing. Maybe one day you'll end on a computer. You know what I was I was a little disappointed about in this article is that it says the fonts which are free to download from the county's website are being widely used by ordinary people. I cannot for the life of me find the county's website. If someone can help us, we will gladly take the help. I would love right. to find these fonts. So cute. Lovely story. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. 
And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Next up, guys, we, it's time, it's time for the nerd alert. All right. So as I said before, we're learning a lot of fun stuff, including the last letter to enter the alphabet. But let's kind of start from some foundational knowledge. I promise I won't make it too nerdy with so many dates or complicated names. It's just going to be like, whoa. I'm going to learn this information, then tell all my friends and peers about it, because who knew about all these fun facts about our alphabet? The thing that we learned first as children. It's 26 letters. Well, I won't be talking about all 26 letters. I'll be talking about a few that got added at the end, the last three letters to join our 26-letter alphabet, which I think is like really interesting that at some point people said, you know, we need to have an extra letter in this alphabet. I mean, I can't imagine if someone did that now, today. I mean, that would ruin the whole alphabet song. So. The, the Roman alphabet is a variant of the Etruscan alphabet, which is a variant of the Greek alphabet. So Greek alphabet being like alpha, beta, gamma, if you kind of want to brush up on that a bit. So starting around the 6th century BC was the classical Latin alphabet. That's what emerged. And that was 23 letters long. So that's kind of like the base of what we have today. There was many letters being added in before the 6th century, but this classical Latin alphabet was standard up until the Middle Ages, which means this Latin alphabet was standard for probably a thousand to two thousand years. This was being used, which is like significant. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to focus on this. You know, before then, before the 23 letter alphabet happened, they were taking letters in, taking them out. And, you know, K, Y, and Z were only in this 23-letter alphabet because they need to spell Greek words with these letter forms, but they, like, weren't developing new letters with K, Y, and Z. K was often marginalized in favor of the letter C, which I think explains a lot of our common vocabulary. We're going to see C on a much more day-to-day -day basis than K for K sounds um, mm -hmm. in our vocabulary. And, you know, I think this is why K is worth five points in Scrabble because not as common as C. And then Z, which was also added to the Latin alphabet for Greek words, is worth 10 points. So that's also probably why we don't have that many Z words in our alphabet. They weren't developing a lot of new vocabulary with this. They were like, okay, we need these to say Greek words, but I don't think they're really worth our time in the words we're developing now. So that's pretty interesting. And that teaches us a lot about the words that we are surrounded by today. All right, guys. So this is where the 23 letters becomes 26. And this is during the Middle Ages. And from my findings, like the later part of the Middle Ages. So like 1300s, 1400s, 1500s. And those three letters that got added to make 26 were letters U, W, and J. Okay. So for a very long time, U and V, those two letters were allographs. I want to do a whole nerd alert about allographs, but I'll just like explain what they are right now. An allograph is a variation of a letter in another context. So the way that we talk about glyphs, oh, there's a double story G and a single story G. Those are allographs. You know, even italic A to a Roman A, those are allographs. They're just different ways to show 
letters. So in, in linguistics, it's like the capital letter A, the lowercase letter A, italic A, handwritten A. Those are all allographs. It's like a visual representation. And then in phonetics, allographs are actually each of two or more letters or letter combinations that kind of re- represent one phoneme, phonem, phoneme in different words. So that sounds all complicated, but it's basically like the letter F and the combination PH, those are allographs because they just sound the same. So they're kind of used for linguistics and phonetics. So U and V were allographs, which is why when we look at really old buildings, sometimes you go to an old museum and there's a stone carving in it, or maybe it's made to look like it's old. And maybe the word museum has Vs where there should be U's. And you're just like, Mm. what the heck? This makes zero sense. Right. But it's actually because these were written in place of used at many times. And there was actually rules to it. So the pointed V was written at the beginning of a word, while a rounded V, which is what we call U today, is in the middle or the end of a word. So the word have would be written as H-A-U-E, and upon would be written as V-P-O-N. So that was one of the rules they used, which is crazy. And there and there really wasn't any, like, no one knew what a U was. They're like, oh, it's a V. And we use it, we use the V for vowels and we use the V for consonants, which is crazy. Then obviously at some point they're like, no, this has to change. So it wasn't until printing standardized leather shapes in the 1600s that the U became regularly used. And in the 1500s, Italian printers were like, okay, we need to make the U a vowel and the V a consonant. Mm. Crazy. And so that kind of explains how the W became a thing because like already V's and U's were really confused with each other. And I think that is why we say W, but then there's like pointed ends. It's like from this very convoluted world of U's and V's being mixed up with each other. So I believe the W was added before the J, before the J and the V. Okay. That's just fun fact. And so... Yeah, that's like RW. It's kind of like a messy story. There's a lot more intricate pieces around that. But I'm really excited to talk about the J, which is an eight-point Scrabble letter for all our Scrabble fans. And that might be because it was the last letter added to our 26-letter alphabet. The letters I and J were also allographs. So they were also being used interchangeably. Super confusing. The J was just an I with a swash. And it would be used in Roman numerals. I love talking about Roman numerals. So like if you're trying to represent the number 23, it might be XXIIJ. I wonder if they did that to help, you know, differentiate from three I's might be like hard to look at. Maybe the J did like a nice finishing look to it. Yeah. I'm not totally sure. Then finally, it was only in like the 1600s when it became regularly being used in print. And then this guy, John Giorgio Trisino, from Italy was like, we need to make these different. And he was like really into helping grammar progress. And he was like, we need to make the I a vowel and the J a consonant. And so that is what happened. And in English, J is the fourth least common, fourth least frequently used letter in words. Hmm. It's only more frequent than Z, Q, and X. But it is very popular in proper names. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I know a lot of a lot of J's in names, not necessarily J J names, but like also with J's in the middle. Jordan, Jessica, Jacob. Well, it's so interesting because I didn't look up this too much, but Jesus wasn't even spelled like Jesus for a long time. Like I think there was like a Greek 
version where it's spelled I-E-S-U-S. And then I think there was a Jewish, the Jewish version was spelled starting with a Y. So it tells us so much about our history, but like also tells us so much about our vocabulary and why those Scrabble letters are the least frequently used letters because no one was developing vocabulary that was decidedly with a J or decidedly, you know, with a W yeah. or a B. That is wild. Some crazy fun stuff. We've just taken so much for granted in our alphabet. and No one tells us this when we're singing the song, but it also makes sense why U and V are next to each other in the alphabet mm. and why I and J are next to each other in the alphabet. Yeah, that's like the kind of stuff that you don't realize there is a reason for. For sure. Wow. And why K doesn't get a lot of love. That's just crazy. Just crazy, my friend. Wild. All right. That's what I got for you guys today. Hope everybody loved that. It was very educational. Very if anyone nerdy. wants to nerd out with me about this, who knows? We might have a part two, might have a part three. There's a lot <laughs> of letters in this alphabet. I didn't even know. My God, there are Wikipedia pages for each letter in the English alphabet. Like, literally, I looked on some Wikipedia pages to figure out the history of the letter J. So, like, we could just keep on doing this. We could just do it. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I'm curious because I feel like Z is so uncommon. And Z was added, Z was like taken out of the alphabet at some point and then added back in to help with like Greek words. But Z was part of the Greek alphabet because there's Zeta. So like it does, Z has this like probably really storied history and like really rich history. But then like it fell off when people adopted the Etruscan alphabet to the Latin alphabet. And they're like, well, we all make words with Z. We're just using this to write down our Greek words crazy we could have so many more fun z words z is such a fun letter <laughs> that is crazy very crazy <laughs> all right all right thank you my friend for that very educational piece this weekend don't forget workshop happening That's daniel <laughs> beginning font design yeah the the topic is beginning font design your first digital letters uh which i think is going to be very exciting it's it's kind of an extension of some of the workshops that Daniel's done in the past of getting to know glyphs and starting to draw letters by hand, but it's also standalone enough that you could just follow along and see what the process is like to start making fonts in font software. Like how does a type designer start making stuff? And I think yeah. he's going to have a lot of interesting tips about how to do that more efficiently that type designers know that not everybody else knows. And I think that's going to be cool. I agree. Cannot wait. All right. All right Hopefully see everybody in there and we'll at least see everybody next week. Do 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 do.